The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you all here, but I'm even more excited for our guest today. He is the founder of Redline equity, Andrew Shutsky. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. How are you, sir? Doing really great, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm blessed to be here. Man, I, I'm super happy to have you here. I know we, we talked a bunch. For those that may not know, Andrew and I got to hang out together at Best Ever Conference. Love going to conferences, love going to that conference specifically, but we got to break some bread and hang out a little bit more in person and finally connect with each other. But super excited to have you here, man. Really appreciate it. For those that maybe haven't you know, heard your voice, seen your face, which hopefully not, and I know you got a lot of great <laughs> stuff out there, so hopefully they are, but just in case, we love a good origin story, where you're from, how you got into real estate, and what you find yourself doing these days. Yeah, man. So let's start with the simple stuff. I'm a family man. I'm a Philadelphia, Pennsylvania native and a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. Unfortunately, it's been a rough few years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably more importantly and more relevant to this show, I'm a very passionate real estate investor you know, 17, 18 years in single family, short-term rentals, and now multifamily invested and owned about 1,100 units now in total, and really kind of dialing in on being a capital racer and investor relations professional now. I love it. Well, it, it's cool. And I know we got a little bit of tech background between the two of us. So we were nerding out on some of that stuff yeah. uh, before we hit record, which is always, at least it's always fun for me, hopefully it yeah. is for everyone else. But uh, listen, I know you've been in it, you've been grinding. I got to imagine you got some things that you've gone through in your journey already that would love to share with our audience and, and help educate them on, on some of the things maybe not to do out there. Sure, of course. So one, one minor detail I forgot to mention in my intro is I also work about 50 hours a week in a W-2 job, <laughs> which I still very much enjoy. And maybe that day will come and expire at some point where I, I don't enjoy it as much. But for now, I do. I've got a great team in place. And one thing I've always struggled with, and my wife will tell you this very well, is just trying to balance, you know, being a dad of two kids, kids activities, you know, a demanding W-2 career, travel behind that, travel for fun. And of course, you know, that thing called multifamily and real estate investing. So, you know, when I started out in the single family thing and short-term rentals, you know, self-managing was a thing and it took a lot of time. Okay. Before you scale, not really much of a problem. When you get to multifamily, you start trying to find a deal. And before you really dialed in and what you're good at, I found myself like many others trying to just do anything I could to get into a deal. And knowing that you can potentially do multiple roles, you know, for instance, finding a deal, doing asset management, capital raising and investor relations reporting, you know, con construction management and planning. I'm like, hey, I could do those things. I can add value. I'll sweep the floors. I make it a no deal. So my first deal kind of went like that, where I jumped in, great deal, pretty solid team all around, and was really trying to play multiple roles, just trying to prove my worth, prove my value, and being that overachiever I'm told I am, really trying to do everything. And, and I, I can tell you about, it worked well for a few months, but quickly burned myself out. You know, I can tell you that you know, being an asset manager is a lot of work itself. Finding and underwriting a deal and getting, getting debt on a property, getting insurance quotes is already a lot of deal. Doing that on top of a 50-hour work week and trying to raise capital and build a brand is insane. So don't do what I did. You know, so a lot of people ask me, okay, how did you know what you were good at? Because you might think, hey, I've got a construction background. I'm good at sales or I'm good at marketing. I can do all these things. 
my advice would be pick the one thing that you either really enjoy doing or you're told or others have told you, wow, you're really good at X or Y. And for me, I've kind of dialed in like, hey, I do love finding deals. And maybe I'll come back to that. That's got to go on the back burner for now. That's phase B. Phase A is really become the best capital raiser you can be. Really dial in investor relations, build a brand, join a mastermind group, and then ask questions specific to that. You can always add to the scope later on. It's kind of like we're back to the tech thing. You, you launch these multi-million dollar projects. Everybody wants everything right away. And I guess that, that's the society we live in. I totally understand that. But come back, come back to reality is if you really want to not burn yourself out, you want to live a balanced life, you know, family, career, building the investment, investing business, and then transitioning to that full time at some point, start with one thing. Again, one thing just to recap that you're really good at or you really enjoy doing. And that would have saved me a lot of angst, frustration, and sleepless nights over the last you know, 18 months. If I had sure followed yeah. my own advice a while back. So that's my first nugget. <laughs> well, let me ask that, just unpacking that a little bit. I'm yeah. sure there's some people that are still balancing that world, yeah. right? I, I made the jump, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I made the jump. It was at a point where I was like, you know, for me, I had a great job. I love what I did too. I love the company I was with. I love the people I worked with. It was just at a point I said, you know what, this is for me something I wanted to make a leap into. We we had the financial backing to be able to make that leap. I love my wife. She's a rock star of an attorney. So she she does a lot for our family, more than she probably gets credit for. It, we were able to make that leap. And I looked at her and we, we sat down together and made the decision that if this is our future, this is what I want to go all into it. But I'm sure there are people out there listening that are like, well, when's the right time to make that make that leap? Or when do I need to make that leap? Or do you even do I? Can I do both? Can I balance both? What would you say to people knowing what you went through and how you've kind of found some balance now to, to help them go through that process it, mentally? They're, they're probably talking to themselves. You know, I think the, the honest reality that nobody really wants to hear is you can't, you can't really do two careers or two full-time things really well to the best, best of your ability. So the compromise is as you're building credibility, as you're building your confidence, as you're building your brand, find a schedule that works for you where there's not a lot of overlap. And for me, and again, everybody's a little bit different. I'm pretty ruthless about dividing my time. And I use a concept called time blocking, which I kind of hold as much as I can to, to a standard, right? So like five to seven in the morning. Not everybody's a morning person. That's my, you know, my me time. I do some reading, some education, reaching out to investors, following up on emails, and maybe looking at a couple of deals that a partner had some across to see, does, is there a fit? You know, building on my website, building my active campaign and you know, releasing blog posts. I can do that, not during my regular working hour. So early in the morning, honestly, by the end of the day, I'm pretty zapped. So I like to spend time with the kids. Saturday morning and Sunday and Sunday morning are my golden time. So for me, it's about, yes, I'm compromising because I can't go all in and spend the 60 hours a week or, or maybe hopefully less that I love to do building the business. But honestly, I like the balance that I have right now, but you have to realize there are limitations to that. You're not going to be able to go all in and find 10 properties in, in your first six months. It's going to take, it's a slower ramp, but if you're, if you're not really what, you know, ready to make the leap like me, it's a good, it's a good balance, but just know going in that you're going to be, you're going to be setting yourself up for disappointment if you expect the same results as somebody doing it full time, all the time, all in and trying to balance a career. It's not going, it, that's not realistic, right? So set your expectations and use whatever schedule works for you. Well, and I love that. And I think what I also heard in, in there is like, you got to have blinders on whether you're doing it full time or not. Like you can't look around and see what everyone else is doing. Like you got to yeah. focus on, on what you're doing, what you're good at. What are the markets you're looking at? What are the properties you're looking at? 
don't don't look around on social media and all that and say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I want to be that like know where you're at in your journey, own that and just relentlessly work at it. And I think that'll help get you there. So I absolutely love that. But I know you wanted to mention something else. You know, the time balancing was the one part, but what was the other thing we were talking about a little bit before that can maybe help our audience out? Yeah, no, I love to share kind of part B of the story too, is, and that kind of related to a degree is, you know, I've, I've done several capital raises now and everyone you learn a little bit more and more. And I guess moral of the story is you can't get overconfident too, because this last deal, we just, we're just wrapping up the raise on now. I haven't even closed yet, but you know, you kind of have in your mind, I'm going to smoke this number. I've got I've, my tripled my, here's what I, I came in with, triple my investor base, really solid deal in a market where it's really hard to find good deals. Fantastic team. And yet you got to, you got to really keep pulsing where your investors are in their journey. Like maybe a lot of those investors were newer. In my case, they were. Some maybe just weren't in a position to be investing. So in your mind, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be, I'm going to be below past the seven figure mark, no issue. And the reality was you got, you got some strong engagement from your webinars and things like that right off the bat, but it was a much slower and steady progress. So and my lesson learned there was I way overestimated, you know, a couple things. One is where were these investors? If they have, a lot of them had never invested in real estate in general. So they needed to be a, a lot more time spent grooming them. To the benefits, the risks, a lot of Q and A, and now I'm, I'm realizing I'm spending a lot more time investing in that now before you have the next deal. And B was maybe not everybody is as liquid right now, and there's a lot going on in the market with Russia, with just general volatility in the stock market is way up and down every day. So the comfort level, even for those that have invested, is not a guarantee. So sure, way right, overestimated yeah. my capacity uh, when I thought it was going to be a slam dunk. Hey, I'm I'm blessed and grateful to have it happy part of this deal was a fantastic deal with a great team. But next time around, I'm going to be a lot more cautious and proactive about kind of pulsing my investors. Where's everybody at? What questions can I get ahead of before I have the next deal? And this wasn't my first or second or even third one. (laughs) So you think you would learn, but again, it just goes to show you that even after 10 deals, you're still learning something about your investor, your investor base, and really getting intimate with what they want to do. Well, and I love that because I think we never stop learning. And I think for some of us, we can even get in this false pretense of, hey, I've had success doing this before. Everything's just always going to go smoothly or I kind of know what to expect on every deal. And that can't be farther from the truth. Like I've heard countless things on this show alone about how people were midway through their career, thought they knew everything. And then boom, that one thing happened that had never happened to them before. And it's like, okay, how do I handle this? I I do want to ask you, being that I feel like right now, capital maybe is a little bit easier to find or to come by than it is a deal. So for those that may not just be capital raising, but just doing everything, if you are capital raising, you are talking to investors, how often are you connecting with them? Or or what have you found that kind of works from a touching base while maybe bigger deltas between deals that we haven't maybe normally seen in the past? What, what are some best practices or, or ways that you found yeah. to keep engaged with your audience with doing that? So I'll give you, you know, and this is still a evolving journey for me, but I'll kind of work in some nuggets of things that I found that have worked to better engage. So the, the fundamentals are, you know, newsletter engagements, which, you know, some people do weekly. I happen to do monthly or sometimes bi-weekly. I've now started to share blog posts with those investors every week to keep them engaged. And a lot of my finding, it saves me a lot of time answering the same questions anyway. I do set up, I try to set up at least one or two lunches with, with the local guys. And get, if not every week, then every other week or a new investor. I do a lot of podcasts, both guest and host appearances. 
And I'll usually get two or three leads from those, or at least maybe five if you're lucky. So I'll be sure to follow up with every single one of those and, and spend 20, 30 minutes working with them. And then it's a matter of following up again through blogs and newsletters and luncheons. And if I'm traveling to a city, I'll try to I'll for sure find 15, 20, 30 minutes to talk through them. So it's an ongoing journey. And the bigger your investor base becomes, the less intimate you have the time to, to work one-on-one with everybody. So you got to be better about putting out really great content and engaging and being proactive about answering their questions. So I know it's not a a short-winded answer, but it's, it's kind of what's worked for me. And I'm still refining that. I'm still open to suggestions to get better. It's like, it's like everybody should be, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I, I love the idea because I think that's one of the hard things about scale. You know, you, you get your kind of core group of investors, you're doing really well. And then you, you, you have to expand to keep finding the money for the deals. Yeah. The deals kind of get larger or you find more deals. You're not going to always be able to rely on that core basis. So how do you scale, but how do you create that intimate feeling or, or, or relationship that you have with an investor that you've cultivated with some of your early ones and make some of the newer ones that maybe you can't spend as much dedicated time with. Yeah. How do you, how do you build that? And I think to your credit, what you're doing and, and what you're talking about here is it's really honing in on your brand mm-hmm. and the content that you're putting out and being able to think ahead of time. Okay. This type of investor probably has these types of questions or wants to see yeah. this type of information. How do I filter that content to them? But this investor's new, so they're going to have these questions and I got to maybe send them different stuff. One concept I'll share that I learned through this program I'm in now, it's focused a lot on, on brand building and capital raising and investor relations is concept of an investor avatar. You know, getting really thinking, thinking about what's in their mind, like what conferences do they go to? Where do they hang out? Where do they spend their money? And then you start to think about Put yourself in their position. If this is brand new to you, you know, what concerns are you going to have? You know, what benefits are they got? What's really going to resonate with them? What lifestyle do they want? Do they go to country clubs or do they hang out at the Arby's? You know, you really got to think about who your avatar is and then tell your messaging and tell your Q&A and tell your blog posts. Otherwise, you're going to be just, it's like more of a spray and, pay, spray and pray approach. Approach. It's got to be really dialed in. So they say the niches are in the riches. I like that, that, that quote. So... Well, I absolutely love that because the the idea of an avatar, I think we we don't talk about enough. Uh, I know from a sales background that we talked about that a lot and a lot of the market, like I worked W2 jobs. So like most of that yeah. marketing and research had already been done, yeah. but honing on and exactly who you can relate to, who you can speak to the quickest, the fastest, and, and just gear all of your marketing efforts towards them, yeah. be where they are and just always be ever in front of them. I think that that's worth its weight in gold right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, Andrew, I can't thank you enough for coming on board. I think, you know, hearing the stuff that you've gone through and especially with the time balance and understanding when is, when do you give yourself to each aspect of the different roles that you're doing, I think is a balance we're all still trying to achieve, mm-hmm. even if we have left the W2, but for those specifically still in it, it, it's a, it's a balancing act. So I appreciate you being open and honest to that kind of stuff. For those that maybe want to work with you, connect with you, learn from you in the future, where's the best place folks can find you at? Absolutely. I'll keep it short and sweet here. You can find everything through our website. It's investwithredline.com. Just like the company, Redline Equity, you can find our podcast, our blogs in there, and we've got a free eight-part investing course on there. Check it out. We put a lot of thought and energy into this, answering a lot of questions for someone new or even someone experienced. Maybe you can learn something as an experienced GP about what our onboarding process looks like. Check it out. Subscribe to our course, sign up for our club, and we'll go from there. 
Andrew, thank you so much. It's been honestly a pleasure having you on. It's been way too long for us to get you on here. So I appreciate you making some time and joining us today, man. It's been awesome. It's fantastic. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great speaking with you. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening and watching at home. We'll catch everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.